Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. What's going on this morning? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let's pray before we get started. Father, we just lift you up as we get started this morning. We thank you that you are the king of the universe, and you are here to comfort us, to secure us, and to establish us as yours. And pray that as we open your word, that we would grasp that understanding even more of who you are and who we are before you. Let me just lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to get into Second Thessalonians. I had uh, Ariel reading this morning, and she was like, she started reading, and it's like, yeah, yeah, and then it sounded different, and I was like, are you in second or first? And she's like, no, and she was reading First Thessalonians. They start out very, very similarly, with almost the same words. Basically, verse one, Paul, Silvinus, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pretty traditional opening. And the reality is that this book and Paul often started out with this real basic introduction. Over 20 times in Scripture, there's this real simple introduction of... Here's who I am. Here's who you are. And then afterwards it says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we just read that and we're like, introduction, moving on. But I think there's a lot more there. And we, we it's good to look at a text and, and read it for the, the overview. But I want to take a second and tear this apart for a second. In the beginning, you have Paul, Silvinus, and Timothy. Paul considers himself the father of the church to some extent. He is the leader going out to minister to the Thessalonians. And then you have Silvinus. He's just kind of a companion with Paul on his missionary journeys. And you have Timothy, who Paul calls his son. I think it's really a neat picture here of the Trinity. He's presenting in these three guys, he's mimicking the Trinity. All right, just so you notice that. There's three questions I want to ask you. What are you? Where are you? 
And who is Jesus to you? And he answers all three. He says, I'm writing to the church. That is the ecclesia, the called out, the gathered together, the assembled people. And that's who we are. They're in a place. This is specifically in Thessalonica. And these letters were circulated to multiple churches. And it was for all the church to read. And so this letter is to us today, right now, as the church. And we need to take it that way. We need to start out there to you as a congregation. Where are you? Paul says you are in God, the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think where we start, where we have to start in our relationship with God is recognizing our position. We are not just individuals. We are in the presence of God. And he is our father. He is the perfect father. Not all of us had good fathers. Many of us had good fathers and great fathers, but that's not always the case. But God is the perfect father, and he loves us where we are right now. And second is Jesus. He is the Lord. First, we have to recognize God as a loving father. Second, you have to recognize the lordship and your need to submit to a ruler in your life. You are no longer the ruler. You are no longer in control. And finally, the reason you're no longer in control because he is the Christ. He has redeemed you. He has bought you with the price of his blood. Where are we? We're in his will, in his hands, in his protection, in his presence. Once you get that perspective, then you can move to the next verse. Grace and peace. The moment you lose that opening perspective, you lose peace. You lose the presence of grace in the way you treat each other and in the way you feel. You lose your emotional peace. You lose the presence of God with you. You know, Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. He wants you to have peace. But you have to do that only when you put him in the proper position. The moment we take our eyes off of who Jesus is and who the Father is and who we are in that position, we lose our peace. We lose his presence. And life gets really hard real quick. We need to keep the recognition of who God is. 
so that we can have the response to God that we can offer the same grace to the people around us. The same heart of love as family that God offers to us. The same peace that he overshadows us with we can offer to those around us when we have the right perspective of him. He says, in God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in him and we receive from him. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and your love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. Therefore, we speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance of faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions. You know, we need to respond to the people around us following God with thankfulness. One of the quickest ways to lose your peace is to forget what God's done for you. Forget your perspective. Start focusing on yourself. Start focusing on anything but God. And you end up unthankful and unhappy. But he says, these guys are not that way. You guys are not unhappy. You are enlarging your faith. And you're enlarging your love. There's this growth going on despite the struggles you're facing. And he says, that is cause to celebrate. When you see each other growing in the midst of trials, in the midst of challenges, it's a reason to be excited. And the fact is, that's a reason to know that God is at work. Because he is. He says, there are two issues going on. Your faith is enlarged and your love is enlarged. And we ought to be proud of that because it's happening in the midst of two things, persecution and affliction. Now, a little background. If you go back to Acts chapter 17, you see Paul coming into Thessalonica and he spends some time with them and and starts sharing the gospel in the synagogue. And it very quickly turns into a bad situation. And the 
political leaders get involved and he's staying with a guy that they come to the guy's house mistake him for Paul drag him to the center of town beat him and force him to say to basically you know make restitution for saying that there's another king other than Caesar and that was their accusation there can't be something greater than Caesar Caesar is our God the government is God right and then they smuggled him out of out of town because they knew they were going to kill Paul and Timothy the persecution they're talking about was from the government and from the Jewish community and it was because they believed Jesus to be Lord not because of anything else because they proclaimed an authority greater than humanity greater than themselves beyond the pantheistic ideas of Rome of Greece because Thessalonica was in basically Mesopotamia part of Greece on the seashore and that's what they worshipped it's interesting that a lot of those Greek gods are coming back as Marvel characters to be worshipped to be celebrated, to be idolized again. It's a little disturbing, and it should be. The only God and Father and Lord is Jesus. He says, despite that, you have persevered your response to persecution, your response to affliction is to love the people around you even more. Despite their circumstances, despite their intentional abuse, the intentional abuse of them, of the community, they were growing. And that's evidence of the real work of God. He says in verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteousness, righteous judgment. What's the indication? That they're being persecuted? That they're afflicted? or that they're enduring that they're being faithful despite that this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering these people were truly suffering for the gospel and 
here in our country, it happens some. But we haven't faced this yet. And the reality is it may be coming very soon. The political climate here is very much against the church. But the promise is that God will help you endure. He's faithful. He empowers you to persevere despite your circumstances. Despite the affliction. Now, affliction has nothing to do with persecution. It's just, he says, these light afflictions are nothing compared to the weight of glory. They're looking at monetary afflictions. They're struggling. They're physically having issues. Whatever those afflictions are, he says, despite that, you're being consistent and you're enduring and you're faithful to love the people around you. And that's really what God calls us to. He calls us to love despite whatever happens. And he says, this is a plain, obvious indication that God has a right to judge and that he's going to redeem you because he's empowered you to persevere. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to forgive and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. It's only right. You know, so often as Christians, as people in general, one of the biggest questions is how can a loving God let all this stuff happen? How can he allow the evil, the horror, the just badness in general in this world continue? How? Why? He says, it's because he's proving himself right so that when he does judge, it is righteous. It is correct. You know, we respond out of vindictiveness sometimes. That is not what God is doing. When God judges, it is not just some vindictive character saying, you didn't do what I said, and so I'm going to just destroy you. It's the opposite of that. It is right to punish evil. It is right to come against rebellion because that's the real problem we as humanity have rebelled against God and rightly he is coming to judge that rebellion and if your heart is in rebellion you are under a judgment a very 
very strict judgment because he is a righteous God and he expects that righteousness from you. The gracious thing is he imparts it to you from himself. If you're willing to submit and call him Lord, because that's who he is. But if you don't call him Lord, if you don't submit to his rule and his ownership of you, because he's God, he created you, he made you to be in his image, in his likeness, to be right and righteous and to be set apart and holy for his purposes. If you're not willing for him to transform you into his image, then you stay in the position you are under judgment. And it's only right that he judged the world for God to repay affliction for those who afflict us. We don't repay that affliction. It is not our right to judge the people around us. It's not your position to be the judge. It's God's. And you need to be careful that you don't try to take God's place. It is right for him to judge. But it's also right for him to give relief to those who are afflicted. There are only two sides you can be on. You can be on the side that trusts the Lord to be Lord. Or you can be in rebellion and rightly judged. And that is being held off for now. The offer for mercy, for grace, is now. But he says that is not going to continue. Verse 7, continuing... to give relief to those of you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ there are two responses and two problems with the response. One, we can recognize God as Lord, as ruler, and continue in our rebellion. We can believe just like the demons do. Yeah, he's God. And still not submit to him.
Or we could just say, I don't really know. I don't really care. I don't want to hear about it. And never have a relationship. Never get to know. Never. Doesn't matter. And that's our attitude. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey. God requires obedience, not just sacrifice. And that obedience is really simple. The gospel is really simple. I am the Lord and you're not. That's the gospel. I love you and I'm offering you grace. Because you've been in rebellion your whole life. And I am going to have to judge that because I am righteous. And I'm holy. But I offer love because I care about you. And I don't want you to continue in the horrible position you are. But if you choose to continue in that, you're choosing that. You're choosing to continue in judgment, to continue in rebellion. And God gives us that free will to choose that. And it is only right for him to judge rebellion. He will deal out retribution on those who do not obey. There are two times in your life that God can reveal himself. One, he will reveal himself with his mighty angels in flaming fire in the last days when he returns or he can reveal himself right now by this proclamation that he is Lord and you can submit to that now because that's what he's calling you to giving your heart to his lordship those who do not obey those who aren't willing to know God and have a relationship with him who don't really care and want to continue in their rebellion and their pride and their self-centeredness they will pay the penalty of internal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power what does that mean what happens in the presence of the Lord that's where he offers grace that's where you can plead for mercy even now and yet there's a time coming 
when that will be completely removed from your options. There will be no more pleading. And from the glory of his power, his power is to forgive. His power is to love. There is a point where that will be removed from you. If you don't repent. And that will happen when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have been believed. For our testimony to you was believed. There are two options. Believe and marvel at the Lord and be glorified in him to become like him or to be destroyed and removed from his presence. It's a real simple choice. But it has eternal consequences. To this end, we pray for you also, always, that our God may count you worthy of your calling. What's the calling? To submit to him as God, as ruler, as authority in your life. And to proclaim him to the world. That's the call. And that's our prayer for you. That you will submit to God and be counted worthy. And in that worth that he will fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. The power that enables you to endure the horrors of this world. Whatever afflictions you're facing, whatever persecutions are coming, you will be empowered through his spirit. And that proves you worthy of his kingdom and proves that his spirit is doing a work in you and that he's alive in you and that you are looking to him first. God desires to fulfill every thing that is good in you. But he can't do it until you submit to him in every area of your life. And often we say we submit 
Yeah, we like to hold a couple little areas away. It's not what he calls you to. He calls you to total submittance to his lordship. So that he can do the work. The clay can't say to the potter, hey, I want to be this. I want to do this. He creates you into what he designed you to be. And if you rebel against that, all he can do is throw you off. Start with a new lump. Make a new creation. What's the purpose? Ultimately, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him in accordance with the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal is that we be in unity with Jesus. And that's a wonderful goal because he is the perfect man, the perfect person, and that's what he's calling us to be. And that's what he wants to make us into be. His image. But we have to submit to be molded into that. And we have to keep the right perspective of who he is. Because once we lose that perspective, we lose out in every aspect of our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are king of the universe. And we just ask that you would give us a right perspective of who you are that we would submit to you as Lord, as King, as Ruler this morning. That we wouldn't be distracted by our own selfishness. That we would see your glory and really have the heart that says, let your glory come down. and be revealed in us. Lord, we pray for your return. We pray that you will judge rightly and that this oppressive world with all its wrong and evil would be corrected and be put in full submission to you so that it would be made into a good work. And once again, you can say it is good, very good.
we look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen.